Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a new episode of the X Button. I'm one of your hosts, Alejandro. With me is the cowboy slash vampire hunter. Paul, oh, hey everybody, how's it going? How's life, Paul? It's going well. I got away for a whole week. I didn't have to do anything work-related, which was wonderful. And then I had to just continue everything once it started back up. But uh, we're in the middle of holiday season now. We got a lot of releases going on. I've got some stuff that I'm getting for my birthday that I guess yeah. we'll talk about next week. And uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and now real quick, did you, have, have you noticed a difference now in my sound? Because I changed microphones after the intro. You're a little louder, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's what I figured because I was like, I made a mistake with my mic, but how about now? Uh, you're good. Do you have something on your nose? Yeah, it's cream. Oh, okay. I just, it looked like it was a glint of metal, so I thought yeah. you'd like had a fake piercing or something. <laughs> like, we can say that? that. It's like, a, it's something that I put when my face cracks, so... Got it. Alejandro so my... visited Hot Topic, everybody. He's finally broken <laughs> down. But yeah, so Paul, how was vacation? It was wonderful. It was really cold the first few days. It was really rainy, and then it warmed up and brightened up, and I got to go out on the beach and chill out. We played uh, Pokemon, because that came out, and there's a lot of other stuff, so we'll talk about that in a minute. But overall, nice and relaxing, chill time. And then like that dovetail right into Thanksgiving, right? Yep, because we got back and literally the next day was Thanksgiving Day. So we went out, um, ate food with my parents mm -hmm. and uh, just chilled out, talked about life. Any any Black Friday purchases for you? Um, there was one mm -hmm. that um, I haven't really gotten to get into yet for, for legal reasons. Yeah. Uh, but I'm I'm super excited about it. Uh, besides that, not too much for Black Friday. I kind of had all of the things I really wanted so far. Um, and uh, I, th I think that was about it. Oh, I bought some uh, minifigures mm -hmm. for uh, Dungeons & Dragons characters. Nice. Is, you can buy the STL file, and then mm -hmm. I have a friend that has a 3D printer, and so he's going to print them himself. Um, so I'm really excited about that. It was like a weird little thing that like uh, there's 3D mapping software. You could just design your own characters now. And it's so cool. But yeah, that's, that's something that's took up like several days of my week. Uh, how about you? What have you been up to? So uh, I bought three things. I got one of the three. The other two are still coming. Here's one. A the red dual sense. Actually, shoot, I wanted to buy a blue one of those, but then I was like, eh, it's money. <laughs> yeah, and uh, then uh, I also, I have one, a black one, coming in the mail. And I also have a one terabyte SSD that I bought for $119 in Amazon. That was like 200 ish so still expensive, but that was quite a deal. I am so sick of not having actual like usable memory on my ps5 even though i have my terabyte where I, I can like save a bunch of games that i can copy in and out but i just want to have more that i can just immediately like click if i want to instead of having like okay what do i have to plan now to like i did uh, yesterday where i had to like delete a couple stuff to reinstall something because something was sprung on me randomly that i was expecting from last week but we're definitely going to talk about that in uh, what we've been playing but before we go into that, this is a reminder that this is the X Button Podcast, our gaming podcast that posts every Thursdays from 2 p.m. onwards, God willing, available in the YouTube channel Escape Gaming, as well as most audio services around the world, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the like. You can find links in the RSS feed at anchor.fm slash escape-gaming. 
If you enjoy our show, give us a like and subscribe. So, the last two episodes, Paul, were very special episodes, basically. So, we did evergreens to accommodate your vacation and also uh, Thanksgiving happening. So, we did the definitive Assassin's Creed ranking. And uh, that is live on both. That went live on audio services right on the day. And then the video came out a little bit later because I was editing some B-roll. Because I wanted to, it to be a little bit more special. And editing B-roll can sometimes be a little bit of a pain. And we did the God of War Ragnarok spoiler cast. Audio went live for that already. Video still incoming. So I'm hoping to get that video up before posting this episode. But just in case you were wondering where the other video video was, that's why. So enough of that, Paul. Tell me your horror stories of Pokemon Scarlet. <laughs> well, um, it's been such a journey, let me tell you. Because um, opening it up, it's... It's such a mixed bag for me because on the one hand, you have everything that everyone's been saying, which is pretty much all true. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of glitches. There's a lot of visual issues. There's a lot of mechanical issues with frame rate and things like that, that the style really tries to hide. Mm -hmm. um, but every once in a while, you just can't avoid that. Like whenever you're running around and five feet in front of you, uh, it's cutting down on the processing speed. So everybody's moving on animations of like two frames per second uh, as they walk. And then of course, only fixing themselves once you actually get closer. And then at the same time, there's like so many quality of life things that they've done and good decisions they've made for the direction of Pokemon that I sometimes forget that in the middle of it. It's like playing a really janky double A game on the PC in the early 2000s where you're like, I don't even care. This is just really fun. And I hate that mm -hmm. because it means that they're going to keep doing that. Uh, because it makes me wish that they put the true AAA effort and money that people deserve out of a Pokemon game in 2022 into actually making a AAA Pokemon game. Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess just to, to wrap that thought up is that there's so many things that are great about it that I just genuinely enjoyed myself. My wife, who is we've talked about as a huge Pokemon fan and plays almost nothing else, adored it mm -hmm. admitted that there was a few issues here and there that she came into contact with but nothing that's been on like videos so she's like well it's fun so i'm gonna keep playing it and so yeah. she's gonna keep playing it yeah that's been the thing watching that this just makes it very clear for me that pokemon can uh really just like thrive even when its quality is the worst it's ever been and uh and, and it's because uh the Pokemon families, I think, is just used to not expecting the best of the best from their products. And that blows my mind. But I think we're wired differently. Your wife is not wired into, I want the most pristine quality in graphics. I want the most pristine frame rate. I want things to not like animations to not spasm. So hilarious. And uh, the, the thing is that the, and it, you just think about how much this game sold immediately. It's like the 10 million copies in like three, four days. They're basically rewarding uh, the Pokemon company and Game Freak for their minimal viable effort. Even though many people like that, that's kind of like when we were making the joke that Nintendo finally released their equivalent of Sonic 06. The big difference is that 
the gameplay in Sonic 06 also sucked on top of all the things that were broken and have finished about that game. Yeah. And uh, with Pokemon, a lot of people are like, man, finally they got what we wanted out of a Pokemon, like open world game. They're, get, they're, they're like in the right path, but it's broken AF. It's just broken AF. And uh, now the big question, will there be another one next year? Will it be just as broken? Because I know that there's been like very negative discourse around like modern Pokemon since uh, Sword and Shield in 2019. Yeah, I'd uh, say that was one of the first breaking points for them. Yeah, for uh, especially because that one came in with the extra controversy of the Pokedex or something like that. They, that... they took like most of the Pokemon out and just kind of cherry picked a few from mm -hmm. each generation. Yes, yeah, so I remember that was like because I remember that game reviewed really well, but then I saw that the internet was aflame. I was like, what happened? I thought people liked this, and then I saw that there was like a big war with the fan base versus actual reviewers, and I was like the opposite side like now reviewers are some have caught on like ign gave it a six i don't have to say ign has not been like shy about throwing those six out of tens this year considering they also considering how big they are yeah yeah and also throwing a bunch of tens also <laughs> but uh but yeah but you're still enjoying you're still gonna finish it no <laughs> I, I as soon as i got home it's it's pokemon for me is like this is nice for a weekend when i don't have anything else to play just to feel it because i was enjoying trying to catch all the pokemon running around seeing the pokemon in front mm -hmm. of me doing all that stuff but then the second i got home i was like well i've got better games to play so i'm gonna go play those games yeah you can only play that because you have your switch with you you're traveling you don't have your like nice tv slash monitor and the... so it's like for the switch it's great but you try to like even if pokemon tries to put any next pokemon game on anything else it's going to get destroyed by everything mm -hmm. and um it, it was i was just enjoying myself much more with other games to talk about that, that we will talk about there we go mm -hmm. um one of which was actually briefly returning to god of war ragnarok mm -hmm. just to go through some more side content and then realizing just like you said the map is terrible and it's oh, really yeah. impossible to find your way through this labyrinth when there's no detail um and the compass doesn't help you at all yeah. so i legitimately couldn't find my way through and i didn't have the patience to just look up a video to find every single yeah. direction I had to go yeah the thing is that i was i didn't have that much of a problem but you are also historically really bad at direction so yeah and i've just <laughs> i would get in the middle of this rainforest that looks the same going one way versus the other and i'm like how do i get to where this map icon is and of course the compass just keeps disappearing and reappearing in front mm -hmm. and behind me and i'm like this gives me no information so yeah it's i i decided to go play some other things but uh mm -hmm. one of which was a very big surprise to me yeah dragon quest 11 because i assume you played it because it's in the ps extra right it is yeah mm -hmm. so um it's really funny. I had it not really in my wish list, but every once in a while I'd look and see if it was like really on a deep sale because it's like a bucket list item to me at this point. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I just want to try playing one of them just to see if it's as bad as I'm saying because I'm really not into turn-based stuff normally. And that's the thing. No one has said that the Round Quest Eleven is bad. It's no, the opposite. I, I agree. <laughs> it's um, it's just like I had a feeling that it wasn't going to be my cup of tea as much, mm -hmm. but I wanted there to be such a low point of entry for me to just try it and either confirm or be like, oh, this is actually fun. Mm -hmm. And so I tried that out and uh, the game's really freaking great just because of the art style. There's like so many little animations for the mm -hmm. dialogue. So even like static cutscenes don't feel stale. Mm -hmm. um, 
the there's voice acting for all of the major actual cutscenes, which is just quaint and adorable. Reminds me of Final Fantasy X, and um, even though it's like turn-based in the way that normally I'm not big into. The fact that I'm also trying to simultaneously play Modern Warfare 2, which is just a such a high ceiling of skill required mm. in focus, um, playing that was like, oh, there's literally an auto run button. I could just click this and sit here and let him kind of run. And just there's so much charm in every bit of it. There's a, the music is gorgeous. And um, I've only gotten to the part where you finally leave the starting village. But even in that short amount of time, I was like, this is just so cute. Mm. This is like the start of Wind Waker all over again. I love this. Don't, so, don't let PJ listen to this. No, I can never yeah. let him know <laughs> that I enjoyed a part of Dragon Quest XI or he will never let me live it down. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So yeah just to, to put a pin in that because i really want to keep playing and we'll see how that goes next week with all of the other releases coming out but um i'm surprisingly uh positively responding to that um mm -hmm. do you want me to say the other two before we get into our real meat yeah uh yeah say the other ones before the one so, that we shared yeah yeah um so obviously i mentioned modern warfare 2 that's same old same old played the dmz played Warzone. Mm -hmm. it's kind of more what you're expecting i got I my first i got, got my first, first win by myself like with the, with randoms <laughs> i think the in warzone one i might have beaten warzone like twice in all of the games i ever played mm -hmm. and it's like it's a big deal so congratulations there yeah. um dmz is really cool and it has a lot of potential but it really needs uh, some work on mm -hmm. balancing and some ways on how things kind of work it's in, in beta so uh, what yeah so i'm not like gonna judge it too hard because i know it's got a lot of work going on at least they're adding more spec ops stuff which you and me need to continue yeah with. i saw that they they, they they patched it again they added the other second mission that when yeah, i told you that I only saw game. one um it was weird because when i told you i had seen all five and then when i went back there were only four so mm -hmm. like i guess they weren't supposed to put that out yet yeah. but anyway yeah so that's a thing uh then i played a game called chorus which mm -hmm. was on my wish list for months and then it was on playstation extra so i tried it and like i told you the best way to summarize it it is literally a modern day rogue squadron um, not controlling with, exactly like that but if as um, it is as close as the vibe can get it's for like a rogue if squadron. they had kept putting out more sequels and iterating and changing the way the game plays and like hey you're luke skywalker so maybe you could do some crazy force stuff with mm -hmm. your ship now and it's like that's that's essentially the idea on it unfortunately it also takes itself 100 seriously so it's so, I, it, it's so up its own ass it it's, is it's uh, ridiculous <laughs> it's a little pretentious in the dialogue <laughs> department um especially with the character who is just like walking edge like i was a super soldier and i had to betray my father as leader of the empire oh gosh angst like constantly um and it's funny because everybody else is just kind of chill and they're like oh yeah thanks for helping us out cool mm -hmm. bye and they just leave immediately but the gameplay is where i want to sing its praises honestly because it's just so fun to fly around this hub area and there's like five or six different of those you get different weapons um you eventually unlock your actual ship pretty soon into the storyline but just getting into these crazy space dog fights is so fun and i haven't felt something like that since like those early 2000s days yeah. when I was because uh star wars squadrons didn't even feel like this 
So. No, the closest thing was like in those moments they had a drift button in uh, squadrons that allowed you to kind of do some finagling to drift your ship around corners really cool. And they did have that in this because um, I don't know. Did you beat it or you just played some of it or you didn't play any of it? Uh, for squadrons, I just play some of it. No, no, um, chorus. Same. I, I only play some of it. Okay. But did you get to the point where you actually get your real ship? Uh... I remember I got to the point because I was playing it with my dad through Game Pass because he we were looking through some games and what they had added. I was like, I heard about this chorus. You know how that beginning you're kind of like inside a ship and you're doing like power cells and power cells. Oh, right, I beat right. that until you go into like a wide open okay, so spot where there's like really any of yeah. it because you get pretty quickly after that uh, the actual ship that's on the cover and it, you can like hold the button and it drifts your ship so you're still going in one way but you can turn it while you're going that direction and then you get like a teleport button that teleports your ship behind other ships and you get a missile launcher and it's crazy so you get like a lot of these cool things they give you a lot of ace combat style fly in this tunnel and do cool things um, so yeah that's all really fun just don't listen to the plot. Yeah. Um, the the plot was like the big turnoff. So yeah. that, that's why I was like, yeah, I'll eventually get more to this. But it it played really cool. It was like it scratched that itch. Yeah. So that was like every maybe a couple hours each day. And then I was like, all right, I'm done with it. I can't push myself too hard. And then I go back to other things. So anyway, on to the actual big thing that we both played this week. And then I'll end up turning it over to you for all of your stuff was Evil West. Yes. Uh, that was also a surprise to me in some ways. Um, Told you it was going to be like, that was my number. Let me see my list. I have it here. That was my fourth most anticipated game this year. That was your 10th. I, because I didn't know about it until that like one trailer was going around on Facebook. And I was like, what in the world is you're this? The one, also... You're the one that put it in my radar first. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. gosh, really? Yeah. Um so that's funny that we both found that out uh, so quickly after each other. Because only because somebody posted the trailer onto Facebook, which is usually such a Gen X thing for me to find out about. Yeah, you, you you found out about it, like you shared it with me, and then uh, YouTubers that I trust from podcasts that I listen played it at PAX and were singing uh, its praises. So I was like, oh, right, nice. I didn't follow up after yeah. that initial trailer, which is probably why it was so low on my list. Because mm -hmm. at first I was like, okay, cool concept, but I didn't really watch too much after that or mm -hmm. keep up with it. So I was just like, okay, well, it's kind of like that concept, but it also looked that weird level of like, this looks really cool, but it's also like either not going to come out for a while or when it does, it's going to be not as cool as I thought it was because the concept looks cooler than the gameplay. Like that's what I was thinking at first, but then it came out and boy, did it slap. Um, Cause man, just the, the environments just to start it off. Um, you just picture in your mind, anybody listening, uh, every we Old West movie or game or media that you've ever di digested and all of those environments that you picture when you see Old West, uh, you picture your mountainsides, your crazy desert ranges, your forests, but also some of the specific ones like that 
old church in a swampy area. You've got the oil rig thing. You've got trains and train wrecks. And boy, let me tell you, you got all of that, every single one of those in each of these levels, each of them completely different looking, and each of them pushed so far into the horrifying and creepy territory that mm-hmm. it just looks so cool. It's like Bloodborne, but instead of Victorian England, it's 1800s crazy old west nonsense with some steampunk thrown in with some steampunk uh steampunk you're absolutely right and uh it just it blends all that stuff in the atmosphere so well then from there onto the gameplay it is just like combos god of war 2018 meets all the stuff honestly you wrote the article for why don't you tell us some of these things about yeah i reviewed this game for uh season gaming like i mentioned in there in the last episode for our spoiler cast that i had become a a writer contributor for that website and that was my first review for them and this is a great homage to back to back to the 360 and ps3 days where a game could get the idea from like a popular game at the time, think in this time in this case, old school Gears of War. And then you get campy horror movie like Ban Helsing mixed with some Wild Wild West thrown together like in a blender to deliver to me one of the most fun games from 2022. Just like the level of visceral bloody fun you get out of being a old west cowboy hunting this weird vampire or old vampire society. And the game is always like, it's always so tongue in cheek in everything it does. It's not scary, but it has a really great goth vibe to it that always just keeps you like, if you, if you like, like, for example, the vibe of something like old school devil may cry. There's a, there's a, there's, there's a bunch of that here. If you like tough games that are going to like test the way that you're, you're so adept with controller movement and mixing and matching everything. This is also this, not quite dark souls, but. Yeah. It's like I it's, would say it's like um like the later Castlevanias that started blending more of the steampunk into mm-hmm. their gothic. It's yeah. really I mean, do you do you see that Belmont bill is for the yeah. <laughs> I, I immediately was like, I see that. Yeah. I see that. They reference. know. They absolutely know. They oh, totally yeah. know. But I and, mean, that's just it. It's not touched on enough that I feel like it's not played out, and it's like, boy, do they do a good job with it. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. But then at the same time, this is not a like. Even though it looks like one, because you also shoot a few guns, this is not a true third-person shooter. It has third-person shooting, but it's more of a character action-based game where you have to mix and match literally everything. If you think you can literally play through this entire game, maybe you can in easy, I haven't really tried it because I reviewed it on normal. Um, If you think that you can just go through this thing and shoot your entire way through, I think you're going to have a miserable time because there are some enemies that that are like a very bullet spongy with a, with a lot of health. Your bolt action rifle has four bullets at a time. You can get an upgrade that if you're if you're getting the headshots, you get like a bullet back. But it's a, it requires you to keep getting those headshots at this at a time where sometimes you're thrown into an arena with 10 different enemies that are like attacking you left and right, throwing you like some web or some fire and everything. And you think you can just shoot your way out of it? This is not the game for you. This is a game where I made it mention in the review. To survive, you run out of bullets, you drop the arms, pull up the hands, and go and strike everyone with your Tesla electric gauntlet, where it gives you, like, especially if you get further into the uh, into the upgrade tree, you get uh, quick dodging 
like like, like if you're the freaking flash like moving left lightning and right and uh, yeah the lightning teleportation where you can like zoom straight into someone to start doing like a flurry of punches Which or you can also use as a dodging mechanic if there's a bigger enemy about to hit you mm -hmm. teleport out to another exactly. enemy it's like it's really versatile what you can yeah. do especially if you get the upgrade where you teleport and do like an immediate finisher which doing finishers here does the doom slash doom eternal reward if you finish finish an enemy you're gonna receive some health so it encourages it encourages a full frontal assault more than just trying to cover your right that's the thing this doesn't even have a cover system you're always like wide in the open it's about just being always. really quick in your reflexes and sometimes you can even pull people with your electric with like an electric whip like if it's freaking scorpion for mortal Kombat, and then you can like pull them in through like an uppercut that then if you get a specific upgrade then you press like the left bumper or l1 depending on where you're playing use the whip and slam them down or uh you like push them up with an uppercut and then grab them with the feet and do like a big wwb like straight up finisher that can send in like a big explosion and uh or you pull them in put in uh, and pull up your shotgun which if you fully upgrade you can like create like some orbs that electrify them or you pull them in and start like melting them when you unlock the flamethrower or stick them in with a grenade which if you fully upgrade creates a freaking tornado an electric tornado that's probably the reason i survived as long as i did because once you told me about that i immediately upgraded it like you suggested and just the passive damage that does while you're doing everything else was probably the main reason why i managed to beat the final yeah. boss literally literally the last two games are in the last two levels of this game are absolutely insane with the eventually it just throws you it, it just throws you like mini bosses after mini boss like if eventually in the first eight chapters there's going to be some furinas where you're going to be learning how to fight some mini bosses they have like longer health then they start throwing those enemies alongside normal like uh, rank and file enemy enemies you fight and then they keep adding more and then adding more and adding more there's like this section where you're in front of the bank where there's like two gatling guns yep. the big the, the, the big uh i hated that section <laughs> and it was until you and and the only way to succeed is being aware of when to shoot with your bolt action rifle those like gatling guns to stun them when to cock in your grenade for the tornado to like try to get all the mini bosses right at the same time start like flame throwing them as, as much as you can and then uh get close for shotguns stay away uh, start pulling enemies to start building up again your electricity uh, start your quote-unquote rage attack the l3 r3 attack that you start like teleporting and punching everything and have, have to Which erase and repeat all that right as yeah. well um but yeah it's it really was a doom eternal system of rinse and repeat literally the 30 second loop. gameplay loop mm -hmm. of like file it away in your brain muscle memory of l1 r1 we're gonna hit the square button now deep pad left the button now yeah. um like when this happens do these things it's almost like you're setting up subroutines in your brain like a coder to be able to do things fast enough to react yeah. to them uh, which I'll, I'll mention briefly, uh, gets a little overwhelming after a while. Especially so, on the last two levels. Yeah, like if you want to enjoy this for just the environment and to feel powerful and not try to put in a lot of effort on it, definitely play this on easy because after the chapter eight mention, like you said, uh, immediately scales up. They go from like, this is a boss character to we're going to throw three of them in the same room as you and that's just a regular encounter yeah. and just move on this is like when doom eternal threw the marauder 
into like normal encounters. Yeah. But yeah. with the only difference is that most enemies don't require it because the thing that makes the Marauder suck in Doom Eternal is that is the one enemy that goes against com the complete flow of how you're supposed to play that game. It's a character that you need to be like standing still at a very specific distance so that he doesn't pull you in or pull in a shotgun or like sending his demon dog like it this game throws everything at you but it constantly requires you to keep moving so at the very least even though it throws those bullet sponge enemies at you you know that you're required to constantly be dodging constantly be moving keep like scouring your area and see like what's the when to pull up your crossbow if you upgrade it with electricity to start like shooting many to chain the electricity and then you miss mix, miss that in with the electricity revolver that can keep things at bay and still like slowly whittling away health and, and something i would also sing its praises for um just real quick is um gosh i was just thinking about it uh the fact that uh there's not any one enemy that is immune to your moves mm -hmm. like you can use any of your moves on any enemy besides maybe the shield enemies that you can't use distance attacks mm -hmm. on but overall it still rewards you with just really trying literally everything it's just like you said with the marauders mm -hmm. it doesn't lock out like all right i've got all these cool moves and i can't use half of them mm -hmm. on this guy yeah. um so it doesn't become like a, a roulette wheel but mm -hmm. rather what can you throw together in crazy combinations to keep it going yeah so that's why i have to like praise that for, for this game because everything else around it i think i say it's pretty decent the story is like just an excuse it's like it's it's schlocky and just an excuse to send you yeah. to the, the different environments for you to kill more vampires there's like some twists and turns happening with like the daughter of the big vampire you're hunting who's called peter davano yeah. And uh, then there's like some weird relationship that's happening between you and your dad. But then other than that, it's like, it's not something that you're going to remember this for. It's just like, it's just there enough to provide it enough context for you to go on your vampire hunting. I and will give it that the performances were still good. Yes. Um, and some characters stood out really well with... Especially near the end. Especially near the end. Yeah. yeah. Just chewing the scenery, some of the growth that some of the characters went through. And you're the main dude is really just a blank slate, Call of Juarez style. Yeah. Of like, this is like... With the same gruff voice. Exactly. I had to go kill my dad. <laughs> <laughs> one look at him and then you're like okay i understand everything about what this dude is about but i, I was kind of pleasantly surprised like the partner dude that was out in retirement mm -hmm. um i definitely thought things would go a little differently with him but not going into spoilers but um just i was a little surprised at how things kind of played out by the end of it mm -hmm. all but overall it's if you liked the order 1886 and felt disappointed or really slighted by that this is really what you're going yeah for this now. is the order 1886 but as an actual video game and one that has fun instead of like yeah. the order 1886 was all about how look how pretty this game is look at the it felt more like a developer like testing an engine than an yeah. actual game this felt more like a game it was like the uh the unreal engine thing with matrix mm -hmm. but they made you pay 50, oh, 60 dollars $60 for, for it, it. yeah <laughs> um but yeah this is this is like an actual game using that aesthetic mm -hmm. so if that was something like oh that's kind of cool but i wish that was actually a good game here you are yeah if you if you like the idea of the gaming landscape having games that can be the game of the year contenders the high prestige high quality title and have your things that are your basic summer blockbusters that you play and turn your brain off and have a lot of fun and see like it have unique ideas that are usually reserved for indies nowadays i would say definitely evil west comes highly recommended for me it was, uh, even with its difficulty spikes, even though the level design 
I enjoy that it's linear because I like more linear games in my life instead of something that's always wide open. But the problem is that if you like exploring sometimes, there's a, this, this game doesn't have great signposting where sometimes you'll be going to, down a path that doesn't look like the main path, that is the main path. Yeah. And then it locks you out from being able to go back to the level to see if you missed out like a, on a chest that can give you more currency to upgrade your weapons, upgrade. Yes, upgrade. Upgrades are hidden in those chests, so mm -hmm. if yeah. you miss it, you miss it. Yes. Um, However, there's yeah, the, the game has great chapter select that you can select at any yeah. point if you want to double back to a level where you missed out. You will just have to remember what was the path you took because there's like no compass that tells you here is where you go. It just kind of just funnels you in. So. Right. Just be aware of that, but this is the kind of game that I like. It's like, uh, I don't mind games that maybe are not as sandboxy that give you all these many different tools. I just like something a little bit more curated. And when games are like this energetic and fun, like, give me more of this. Thank God for Focus on Entertainment. They are like, they they are the niche to find like that mid-tier AA game that at least has like some great quality. like. I haven't finished it yet, and I'm still—I'm kind of like trying to push myself to finish. It, but they are the ones that also published Plague Tale Requiem. They are the ones that gave me a stealth game about like in in the in the Inquis during the Inquisition times where you dodge rats. It's like that, and with a level of polish that is equal to many AAA games, but it's a AA game. That's I feel the identity that Focus Home Interactive is carving itself, and I hope they're they're being more successful because. It's either them or THQ Nordic with Embracer Group. And we know that Embracer Group right now, yes, they're in the double A, but the quality that they're putting out, it's not, it's giving a bad rap to why the double A, uh, the, the double A product ended up going away. Like recently with Sings Row that uh, the, the, the developer got, it's basically now being merged into Gearbox now after Saints Row. So even though we enjoyed that Saints Row, we know that it wasn't a great game. So. But yeah, Evil West, uh, you can read my full review over at SeasonGaming.com. Really great game, and I'll definitely be reviewing more games for them. So, I did play a few more things, but other than that, uh, I yeah, kept, I, I, yeah, I still kept going through Sonic Frontiers. So, Sonic Frontiers is a really great game that has a really sucky third big level, because there's like five levels, like the open worlds. Like, the, the, uh, the first one is like an island, the second one, it's a desert. The desert was incredible. The, the sense of like... This, the, the sense of scale and loneliness and like the visual style really fit that game really well. This other island, it's cool looking visually, but it has way too many crevices and way too many like up and down hills that kind of neuter your movement and makes going moving through that world, which is the biggest strength for Sonic Frontiers, uh, feel a little bit more uh, not as fun. And I had read in some reviews that that was the case. I was like, I see why people were like, yeah, the third... Uh, the, the, the third island is where you're going to be losing a little bit of steam, but I feel like that game fundamentally is so, is so fun and it's so like, it feels so great in the sticks that I just enjoy just uh, upgrading Sonic's like speed so he can go like so damn fast and for him to like feel like I'm always in control of how fast he can, he can feel compared to previous Sonic games where you always felt like your controller input was like at a delay with what you were seeing. So it never felt like you were in full control of like the speed and I can't wait to at least finish it because I still say that I keep saying that Sonic Frontiers is still one a game that I was very surprised at how it how it turned out. So, and then uh, ironically, because this was like in the back of my mind after we did the uh, the Assassin's Creed ranking, because we we did put this game um, 
very low in the list. I put it more yeah, there out of. So. <laughs> I, I put I, I put it there more out of memory, yeah. instead of like a, cur a, a, a current playthrough. You put it there after having attempted to re to replay it in in, in the PS5 remaster. So I went back and because I had an install and I went through Assassin's Creed 3 remastered. I have not finished that because I had finished that game a couple of times back in PS3 and 360 back in like 2012 and 2013 and I haven't played it since. But I remember like sinking so many hours into it back then, like knowing that outside of the things that that game disappointed me, uh, it had a really good game outside those things. And I went back and uh, and re and retried it, and it reconfirmed my it, it definitely reconfirmed my feelings. If you're just stuck playing the main game and not engaging with the frontier, not engaging with the side content, not engaging with the uh, with its world, like Assassin's Creed Three is pretty dull. But when you engage with everything else, it's like, I see the birth of what made later entries great there. And I 100%ed every synchronization thing. I've 100%ed every story mission of, 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 the, of the main game. I'll say this with the remaster. They have fixed many missions who are trying to get 100% synchronization now in them. It's way less infuriating than it was before. And I feel the story... It resonated with me even more because I understood some of its themes even better in the second half of the game, more than I did like uh, early on. The long tutorial is something that I feel like once you, it only works the first time you play through that game, because it's about the twist. The you're playing as the, your dad who turns out to be a Templar and sets up the whole yeah maybe assassins and Templars are not the uh, they're 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 not as black and white as they were being portrayed as and I feel this is something that. Even till the very end, you feel like there maybe was a point because uh, Connor's story ends in such a bittersweet way after its victory and realizing that his victory was not won at all. And that at least, uh, and then attempting to be more like direct and showcasing how uh, indigenous people were treated back then, or like how disregarded they were in that big conflict, uh, the, the, the initial start of slavery. And... Uh, and yeah, I feel like Assassin's, there's good in Assassin's Creed 3 to the point that where I ranked it in my list, I think I would have opted slots, maybe one or two slots up from where I had it after finishing it now. Because in my memory, I was like, I think that's where it should be because, and also, I also mentioned because I was also the very ending with Desmond, that soured me a lot back then. And, uh, Absolutely, yeah. and now I have it in the context of eight years later with Assassin's Creed Bahala, they did an ending that connected to that ending that makes that ending better and i don't feel as like disgusted by it like i did before so so like in, in in hindsight i feel like assassin's creed 3 has become a better game even though there are still better games in that series and speaking of uh Valhalla, next week was supposed to be the last chapter update that they were gonna that, that they were gonna release where they're finally gonna put a pin on this whole game no more updates this is the end of Avor's story yesterday randomly i saw a tweet saying oh yeah there's been a glitch in the animus and the update's out now so I was like, God damn it. I was playing Sonic then. I was like, I'll play you now. And I uh, I installed it, uh, the whole 120 gigs of it again. Thank God I had it copied, so that was real quick. And I played through the hour-ish, hour, two hour-ish of, uh, of, of the last chapter. And, and one extra uh, quest that they added that connects it more directly to Assassin's Creed Mirage. Beat it, and I would say, it was fine. It was like... I feel, uh, had I played this immediately when I beat it, had this been available for me, I think it would have played even better instead of something that you come back to because it's very, but it's very like, I wouldn't say it's insubstantial, but I think it ends the story at least in a, in a nice note for Eivor. And 
it really like it defined and, and especially something near the end in the uh in the final cutscene as Aver is talking with a special character uh you realize yeah this what makes valhalla special for me is the fact this was the game where everything regarding the isu was finally more de deeply delved into and how that is like literally how that dovetails into what ragnarok means with norse mythology it's like that i feel that's the thing that why i feel so high in valhalla overall but i don't feel this epilogue is going to alter any way you feel about this game obviously both of us felt really high about it i beat it you haven't beat it yet i sent you a ending explained so you I can i did read the first thing you sent me but yeah. i did not watch the videos after okay the videos after uh, is the ep was the epilogue okay all the big cutscenes of the of, of this last chapter yeah so. um it was interesting how they split split it up but did it better than the way odyssey was yeah. where it's like each um because i did read that stuff and most of it like lined up with kind of what i already knew because uh -huh. i'm so close to actually finishing the game um uh, with the way it was like, all right, this ending, you kind of finish this, and then this character, you don't really take care of that plot line because mm -hmm. that plot line's in a separate area, mm -hmm. and then you kind of slowly roll in through it. And it was interesting how they kind of played into the idea of, all right, you're either going to die the way you are, or you need to change who you are to survive. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of interesting because obviously a lot of Assassin's Creed's in the past have been very preachy in some of the ways that they are, mm -hmm. um, where it's like, don't listen to anyone because you make your own truth and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Very like we're on 4chan and it's 2009, baby. And um, it was a little more nuanced and interesting, um, especially and, and, and more thematic Templars. Yeah, um, and, and also more thematically connected than previous Assassin's Creed uh, games in all its facets. Um, like the theme of the modern day is the same theme as Eivor's story, which is also the theme of the Asgard Jotunheim Odin visions, like yeah. and how all of that merges together. And if you do all of it, you realize how all threats eventually converge and and, and you're left with like an ending that's well, very well thought out for Assassin's Creed. Insane in its implications and makes you curious about what's coming next. Uh, like, you understand that I remember telling you that this is the last of Layla. And then there's yep. like a new, a, a new thing. And pro probably you read it there. Like, what's like the big thing? Basim. It's now in the modern day. Right. Be and, and, and Layla traded his place in Yggdrasil. It's like, it's so, it's... And uh, the staff of Hermes is like what makes a skeletal Basim look like he was thousands of years ago. And Basim is Loki. So now Loki is like the main character of the Assassin's Creed series. Oh, so, <laughs> um, and, and it I, all makes sense with the lore. That's because... what I want to get into as well, because it's like I, I hear the individual pieces of it. And I'm like, how in the world are they going to tie X to Y to Z like this? Yeah. And I I, I want to see how that plays out, but it's going to take yeah. so many more hours to get to that point. No, you are so I'm close. Speaking. You're literally, but but you haven't done the Asgard Jotunheim arc, so you have yeah, a few so more hours to go through there. It's going to so. be a while for me still because yeah. of that fact. But yeah. so basically, the Asgard and Jotunheim arc is basically you are understanding that what the Norse uh, people understood as Norse mythology was the actual right. history of the Isu. Right. That they reinterpreted they reinterpreted as the as what we know as Norse mythology, but mm -hmm. those things in the Assassin's Creed world happen. Ragnarok was the destruction of the Isu we saw back in Revelations. So that like that end of the world thing, that's how like that came to be known as Ragnarok for the Norse. 
Okay, got it. Characters like Odin, Loki, Tyr, uh, Thor, and all of that were actual Isu people. Like in this, in its sci-fi and in all its sci-fi-ness. And uh, something that's told in the Asgard and Jotunheim arc is that uh, there's this mead that if a character drinks from that mead, it means that their consciousness will live on past their death. And that's basically like a machine the Isu created to implant their consciousness so they can be reincarnated way in the future. Which is how we learned uh, that, okay. we, because if, as you play as Eivor, whether it's male or female, if you play, if you let the animus pick, which is like the canon, like kind of like the canon uh, version of the story, like female Eivor is like has the consciousness of Odin that got inserted from way back then inside of her, and that right. consciousness is start, it's wanting to try to take over. As so that's why Odin shows up all the time. Yeah. Her. Okay. Yeah. And at the first time you can read that as like, oh yeah, this is Norse mythology. Of course, that they adore Odin, so she's having like this, like, like this kind of like crisis of conscience as she's like doing the assassinations and all that, and what's like the right thing to do in the eyes of the old father. But then you realize, no, there's a part of Odin inside of her, mm. and there's a part of Loki inside of Basim. There's a part of Tyr inside of uh, of Sigurd, and that's why Sigurd lost his arm, because Tyr in Norse mythology got his arm bitten by. Loki's son, yeah, Fenrir. <laughs> so, mm. so it's like it's so funny how they man they, they managed to take Norse mythology that can be like so uh, like so many people can know some of the basics of it and make it work with the lore of this series, and they that that takes a lot of thought and it's batshit insane. So, and Golly. and now I can't wait to see how because remember Mirage was supposed to be DLC for this game. Right. So they, they made it. A, they, they bumped that up into a full game. So I want to see how that works as another sort of epilogue to the stories that have started here. Now that Basim is the is like the main character. So I want to see what they're gonna do next and how that's gonna play out with yeah. where here's, they go. Yeah. Here's what was funny. There's like a timer that starts near the end of, of the epilogue of this that people are like thinking, is this the timer when they're actually planning on releasing Mirage? Like it's 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 interesting because they we know Mirage is coming in 2023, you just don't know exactly when. So but I can't wait. It's like it's Valhalla reinvigorated my love for like lore for Assassin's Creed in a way that it hasn't since the days of three. And the epilogue was just a nice end cap to feel like the game actually ended. Kinda like how the end the epilogue they added for Odyssey felt like that. So Enough of that, Paul. We have a few stories. We haven't done stories in like two weeks, but we're not going to cover many of the things that happened in those two weeks. Just things that are a little bit more pertaining from a few more uh, from a few days. So, press X. News. All right, Paul. So, story number one. This is an interesting one because this is a game that's coming out this Friday. One that we're actually highly anticipated. We have high anticipation for Callisto Protocol. Apparently, uh, this was the first story that dropped back in November 16, so we were already in break, but there was also something that was learned today. So just to kind of give the context from from back then, uh, Sony played a role in bringing the Callisto Protocol to life. This is by uh, Sammy Barker from Push Square. So it reads, uh, Sony's Visual Arts Services Group is one of the unsung heroes in PlayStation's portfolio. We know that Visual Arts is the one that started recently the Last of Us remake that then Naughty Dog came in and finished. They're always like big support studios for many PlayStation, and they also work with God of War Ragnarok also. There's been talk about attaching a fully-fledged development team to the department for years, but its main merit is to help other studios realize their visions, and this doesn't just apply 
to first-party projects as its motion capture space has been ramped by various third parties over the years. One upcoming title that Division's helped out on is the Callisto Protocol, with all of the cinematics being shot on location at Sony's motion capture studio. And according to Michael Mumbauer, a former director and studio head at Visual Arts, the collaboration runs deeper than that. It wasn't just the use of the mocap studio. PlayStation contributed quite a lot to cinematics and more. It's going to be a banger, that's what Mumbauer said. Flash forward to today. Uh, Sony assigned over 150 employees to aid the, the Callisto Protocol's production. And, and this is that... Uh, let me see. Images of the credits posted on the reset era revealed that around 150 employees from the platform holders, visual art service group, and Malaysian team aided developers striking distance studios in the project. PlayStation often supports the creation of third-party titles by loaning out a state-of-the-art motion capture studios and assisting in things like audio mixing and cinematics, but this looks like one of its biggest assignments in a non-first-party game to date, with the aforementioned 150 employees credited as contributing to the title. Sony does have marketing rights to the release but it hasn't signed it as a time console exclusive, so it'll launch on most major systems later this week. Of course, it will have been paid for its assistance, and based on what we've played of the Callisto Protocol thus far, they say, you can certainly see how PlayStation support has elevated the entire experience. The cinematics specifically are stunning. Okay, so this oh. makes a lot of sense because I was wondering why a game like this, and it's like, granted, it's probably uh -huh. in the AAA title, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, category rather, but the cinematics look freaking gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why? Like something doesn't add up to me up until yeah. today, uh -huh. why the cinematics look so good. I mean, that, that screenshot of the second article uh -huh. with the sweat dropping down the main character's forehead like right. that, that was clean. And um, this makes sense that the fact that Sony is actually stepping through to actually help third party companies mm -hmm. like get their stuff done. And I mean, it makes sense. It, it benefits both of them. Yes, but it's strange. It's strange that yeah. they're like devoting uh, resources to a third party product. Obviously, they they unveiled this game in their state of play. The marketing, like if you see, like there were people watching football games during the Thanksgiving and there were commercials for Callisto Protocol with the play and PlayStation. So they have the mark, but, but it's just a marketing deal in the end. But yes, but this is strange. Like usually, a marketing deal is just a marketing deal, not like actually giving your actual resources, your actual development resources into playing, into helping developing this game. Is this them? How is, is this how they're still doing the thing that Sony does, like secretly nurturing like a relationship before they snatch just, in? Yeah. Um. This this strikes me as. It's kind of interesting because you don't really see this kind of complex thinking mm -hmm. from a video game company like this, but it almost, it's because it benefits them so much in the long run to devote resources that they might not currently be using. Mm -hmm. Think about it. They're renting out the space, which means that nobody else is using it for their own first party stuff. So they're making money from that, mm -hmm. but they're also cultivating a great relationship in the process. Secondly, devoting those 150 people, that means they must not be needed as badly in other first party things. So it makes sense. Well, why else have these yeah. people just sitting around? Might as well devote them to a third party group. That and we're uh, dealing you with. just mentioned specifically something that worries me a little bit because yeah, uh, Sony's games are always very cinematic. They use a lot of this like technology and all that. What have we been hearing? What's Sony's push? Like and up until like 2026, what they're trying to like deliver. All the live service games? All those live service games. Does this mean that now a lot of this thing is just out there because they're not doing other games where they're they're actively developing things where they're doing oh, so the motion capture. They have the resources because they're not using them the way they should. Uh-huh. 
uh, yeah, potentially. Exactly. There's, <laughs> you, you, you can like start reading it that way yeah. because it's like, especially for a project that is not yours. So, um, I want to say it's it's maybe a little bit of both because Sony's a big company. There's a lot of people all trying to push their own ideas out there. So there, it could be that the higher ups are trying to do the live service games and therefore aren't using their resources properly. But at least it sounds like somebody in Sony saw that and said, well, let's use that mm -hmm. to cultivate relationships while they're doing their BS over there. I want to kind of see it like that, where it's like somebody saw that opportunity and use mm -hmm. it not only for business, but also to kind of like push the industry forward a bit. And if we can do that, like even we can't stop Sony from doing really scummy crap as we've obviously seen. Mm -hmm. But if somebody's high enough up there to be able to push resources in the right direction, mm -hmm. then at least that's something that'll make it a little more bittersweet rather than just depressing. So I, I guess I'll, I'm going to stick with that reality as being mine for this one. Yeah. But and, 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 I, and I can remain skeptical because, again, yeah. Sony doesn't want to open up their mouth about what's their next slate of games now that God of Ragnarok's finished. And we only know that the only first-party stuff that's in the docket is Spider-Man and uh, right. and Wolverine. Wolverine. So, yeah, just it's it's just interesting times that Sony continues because it's like they're operating in a way that they haven't operated before, but they're also like adding, acting in such a stupid way that we missed the entirety of uh, the new developments of the Activision Blizzard uh, whole deal and, and they're kind of like arguments where they were arguing things like uh, yeah. if Xbox gets uh, Activision they're going to be raising prices of games and consoles and I'm like and then Sony raises the they're the ones that did it they're the ones that they already raised their prices they raised the, con the, the price of the consoles so it's like it's really it's like Sony's like in such schizophrenia mode right now then this just adds to that because there's like no way to like really understand the way they're operating so it kind of makes me think of like a hydra situation where there's just so many different heads all trying to do their own thing and push their own agenda that it almost feels like there's no cohesive vision for the mm -hmm. company right now there isn't but, um, and and the thing is that I, I i keep saying it and i sit in a chat with the seasoned gaming people is like i have not i've never seen a company squander a year where they actually put out high quality games over their petty squabbles where like they we went an entire year without a showcase now it doesn't feel like uh even though they're selling they, they sold the most consoles last month and this month because they finally got a supply chain to finally catch up with like the, the demand uh it doesn't feel like they're the ones like uh they're it doesn't feel like a company that you want to root for like at all even though they're actually delivering is because of their attitude so it's a, that's that's what's so strange and this just adds to the strangeness that they're putting those resources in a non-exclusive that's absolutely gonna be over on xbox however someone made the joke uh eta before we start hearing that the xbox versions are, are breaking xbox consoles oh, <laughs> that's like an no. inside job that was a joke so oh okay gosh <laughs> yeah just i was like that was, that like, was so again. funny yeah <laughs> so story number two paul uh the Witcher remake will be open world, CD Projekt has confirmed. In a presentation this week, the company described the recently announced project as a story-driven single-player open world RPG, a modern reimagining of 2007's The Witcher. While it's perhaps unsurprising that the game will follow the open world structure of the most recent, uh, of the most recent series uh, release, The Witcher 3 Royal Hunt, this was the first official confirmation. So, open world first Witcher game, Paul, that makes it interesting because now I know that this is an actual true remake. 
this is not a one-on-one -on -one recreation of it a 2007. It was pretty small of a world, wasn't it? Kind of like Witcher 2, that it was more hub-based, like a... Yeah. Like, you have segments that, like, all right, you're going to play in this area, and then you play some mission that switches you over into the next segment. Um, which, I mean, obviously, games couldn't really handle that as much. <laughs> yes. Um, so, especially for what this one was. Yeah. It said the remake will be a rebuild from the ground up in Unreal Engine 5 and is currently in the early stages of development at the Polish Studio Fools Theory, where veteran, where veteran Witcher series staff are involved. CD Projekt Red is providing full creative super supervision. So, at least as I know, we know this is very far away. We have we still have like, that roadmap that we learned of, of CD Projekt Red from like a month or two ago. But this at least makes me more hopeful of the fact that they're putting in the work. They're just not just updating visuals, unlike uh, other remakes that came out this they year. Really need to do a ground up remake because mm -hmm. anybody who would look at what the game used to look and play like yes. was bad. Yeah. Um, some people argued even through uh, Wild Hunt that the fact that they kept the combat kind of similar really held it back. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's more opinion because some people really like the pirouette ballet kind of style, but um, that it doesn't translate very well from the first game to now. So. No. Also, and we didn't talk about this, uh, and it's inserted here in this article, the uh, the Witcher 3 Wild Hunt's next-gen update is going to be released on December 14. Right. So, uh, as a free update for players who already own the game on PC and last-gen console. Do you, do, you, do you watch that trailer, Paul? I did. And that that's looks what I, great. I think I messaged in where yeah. I was like, gosh, this made me remember why I really like the game so much. Mm -hmm. Because over the course of the years, okay. I was more thinking back on... Okay, well, what was really good about that game? There was a lot, like, replaying it a second time, I kind of skipped through some of the cutscenes. I kind of, like, there was a few things that didn't vibe with me as much. But then there were, like, those few moments that would really stick in your mind mm -hmm. after a while. And this... There's a reason it's still as famous as it is to this day. And I think that trailer really showcased those moments. I, I had the advantage that I recently tested Witcher 3 uh, earlier this year and also a few months ago. Um, mm -hmm. Also because um, I retested it because my friend uh, Josh, JLC from our Destiny clan. Oh, yeah. He had told me erroneously that the Series S version of Witcher 3 had 60 frames. So I was like... Hell yeah, I'm gonna try it with 60 frames, but no, it was just a locked 30. And I was like, you already know what 60 frames is. Right. And because I already own that game on PS uh, on PS4, so I bought the $10 Game of the Year edition on Series S. I was like, mm. okay, if it's that old, it's just 10 bucks and it's 60 frames, I'm gonna start here. And then I saw, I was like, wait. And then I looked at the options and there was like no 60 frames option. I was like, you liar, you owe me 10 bucks. And he sent me 10 bucks. So, did. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, oh man. And then I learned the Series X version right now, currently, does have a toggle for 60 frames that the PS4 okay. Pro doesn't. So you can play the, the Witcher 3 at 60 frames already if you have a Series X, but if you want like next gen bells and whistles and uh, in like across the board, that's when in December 14. I can't wait because Witcher 3 is just like Skyrim, one of those Final Fantasy games that I always say that I'm gonna go back to it and like really experience it, yeah. and then I never just did. So. And I'm still kind of going through Oblivion slowly. I like it. It's just kind of like I'm just kind of chipping away at me as other things. I just it's like it's a really easy game to pick up and put down once you kind of are familiar enough with it. Yeah. That's why that's me with Skyrim for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, 
I, once I know when the Starfield release date happens, that's when I'm gonna ramp up more with like really laser focusing on these on those other games because yeah. I can't wait for Starfield. I know you can too because for reasons for reasons <laughs> that you're being squeezed down there. <laughs> I it's I gotta wait until I can make sure everything plays out right. But man, my gosh, it's gonna be such a pain in the butt trying to play so many games all at once <laughs> mm -hmm. oh yeah oh anyway so story number three paul hey we haven't bashed your old stomping grounds in a while so let's we bash haven't. them it's, it's let's bash time. them because this is uh this is definitely worthy of bashing story number three by andy robinson from bgc gamestop's website is reportedly showing customer data including addresses uh, according to multiple users on social media, for a period of time on Saturday, customers were being shown other users' information from refreshing their other order pages. It's not clear if this includes full credit card numbers, but one user shared an image showing a partial number. Uh, an update this is GameStop response. GameStop's customer care team has responded, has responded, claiming that the addresses and names appearing in customers' accounts were part of a test and not actual customer data. This was immediately fixed the same day it took place, it told BGC. This was a test data created by our teams, not actual customer data. Let's stop there. Bullshit. That's absolute bullshit. I don't believe that for a second you're gonna have that in your order pages. I mean, that last pro uh, paragraph tells them that they they kind of called it the same way you did, saying that an online search suggests that some of the names and addresses were, that were shown to its customers on its website could match real people. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they're like, yeah, so GameStop said this and we're like, no, uh, that's that's probably real people, guys. Yeah. <laughs> get, get your act together. I know. I mean, poor... Can GameStop ever catch a break, Paul? It's they seem to they have the ability to, and then they refuse every single time. This is that uh, this is absolutely the Lion King two system, where everyone's saying, "Here, buddy, we'll help you out of this hole you've dug yourself," and then they let go and throw themselves into a fiery pit. Um, I I can now say so much more evil things against them because I think there is nobody left that actually works directly for GameStop. Mm -hmm. Maybe one of my old managers is like highly promoted now, but he's out of all of the really crappy nonsense. Mm -hmm. Everybody else is now left. Um, so actually, my my local GameStop is full of people I don't recognize, yeah. and that's both sad. Yeah, and also, when was the last time you want to buy a game there? I, I walked in there maybe a couple of years ago, uh, weeks ago for the first time in like half a year at least. And I haven't touched any actual games. Yeah, it was literally buying Pokemon. That was it. And ever That's since- That's where you want to buy it? I didn't renew my membership. I didn't trade anything in. I haven't bought anything from them. It's, it's really disappointing, but- they they clearly don't have an interest in keeping people who mm -hmm. are actually competent. They just want a name and a number to just stand there and shout random things and sales and details and buy our credit cards and all that at people. Oh, yeah. So forget them. Honestly. Oh yes, and uh, I'm all I'm an all digital guy, so it's like I have no use to uh, ever. Even if I visit the U.S., I have no use to go there. Like. Everything I can buy digitally. And even if this whole thing, like we read reports a few months ago that the next model that 
of the PS5 that they're releasing there is going to come in with detachable disk drives that can also be bought separately. I wonder if that's compatible with my digital PS5 and I'll buy that so, because I will say this. Uh, I've been seeing some sweet discounts of discs compared to digital discounts. Then I'm they, like, they have to discount them so much because nobody wants to buy it. Well, that's not entirely true, but in a lot of areas, people don't want to buy them because it's easier to do digital now. Absolutely, and and, and more and more developers are uh, admitting that they are making the bulk of their sales digitally than in disc. I kind of if the, if the price is affordable for that for that a disc drive, I'll get it just because it's kind of similar to what I'm gonna do with the Series S with the uh, patented disc drive that they uh, that Microsoft patented earlier this year, because the Series S is the one that doesn't have a disc. There are a few backward compatible games that are all, are that are disc only yep. that never got a digital version. And if you have a Series X, if you have the disc, you have no problem. But if you're in Series S, you're out of luck. So I think that's why they want to do that because they want to add that reader for the people that want to use those old discs. So I would love that uh, so much because then you get the best of both worlds, really. Yeah, but even then, if I got that, I wouldn't buy it from the GameStop. <laughs> so and let's go. Uh, let's flip this to stories, Paul, uh, just to end with hilarity. Okay. So uh, what would have been story number five is going to be story number four. DC Studios CEO James Gunn wants DCU universe to connect across film tv and games story by wesley the blanket game informer warner Bros. discovery revealed last month that it had five that, that it had hired peter saffron and marvel studios alum and director james gunn who directed guardians for the galaxy the suicide squad and the peacemaker tv show to lead as co-ceos of dc studios as, as reported by variety since then gunn has been fielding questions about dc studios the dc universe future and what his plans are as a new lead within dc's entertainment output when asked on Twitter yesterday if he and Saffron are planning to give more DC characters TV shows that, that'll add to the story of the DCEU, Gunn responded, Yes, most definitely. The DC Universe will be connected across film and TV and animation. In a follow-up tweet, another user asked, asked is, is there are plans to connect games to this larger DCU canon as well? To which Gunn simply responded, yes. It's an interesting response and idea, especially given that it seems clear Warner Bros. Discovery wants its DC Universe to become something more akin to Marvel Studios' Marvel Cinematic Universe. However, the MCU plans don't include video games because Marvel's video game efforts through partners such as Insomniac Games with Marvel's Spider-Man and Crystal Dynamics with Marvel's Avengers and others do not connect in any way. In fact, Marvel's Games Vice President and Creative Director Bill Roseman said back in September that it's important that each studio's Marvel game is not connected to the rest as it allows for narrative freedom said studio might not get otherwise. That is probably like the big like the big sticking point of Gun uh, James Gunn saying just that everything has to be connected. Yeah. The only way you can connect everything together is if you go back to the shovelware uh, licensed video game superheroes from like the from like back in the day. Because I've, we've talked about this many times. Making games nowadays, very hard. They take forever. Yeah. Way longer way longer than a movie. How can you like... Uh, let, let's put it like this. Like, If a game takes like... Four, like, like, like think of Spider-Man 2018. That game started development around... 20, early 2015 if I remember correctly. That's when they... That's when Insomnia kind of got pitched the idea of doing a Marvel game. And then they took the three years to do Spider-Man 2018 from there. Um, then obviously we got Miles Morales two years later. We're getting uh, Spider-Man 2 this next year. So it's going to be five years from 2018 to this one. Uh, what if it gets delayed? And imagine if it has important stories within it that should like explain things that happen in a movie or a TV show. TV and I feel TV and movies are easier to 
coordinate because they're much easier to make relatively i'm not saying that shooting a tv show is like so it's like it's like a piece of cake not at all it's just more filming schedules less it's like you can film an entire tv show in a three to four month period that's like the shoot and then everything is uh, the post-processing games is much longer much longer it's like so you're saying this is a bit too optimistic yes oh yeah absolutely it's way too optimistic because uh you can you, you can never uh game development like you saw it with your friend you were ready to launch that game and then he lost literally everything and that delayed the project indefinitely those kinds of things happen with software development that doesn't happen with film and uh and tv so i um i think it's this is that they call it the blue sky phase mm -hmm. where whenever they're designing things they're like all right just go don't even think about physics or money just design this thing what's it gonna look like and i think i mean james gunn just settled into his chair while people are asking him big mm -hmm. decisions about the future of the product yeah. and it's like he went on a two weeks he went after sending getting his dc dc head share he went on a two week sabbatical up to map the entire bible of the dc universe with yeah, Saffron, so so. I'm sure he knows like the concepts of it, but I'm sure as he gets into the weeds of it, he'll understand the realities a mm -hmm. lot differently. So, of course, a quick yes is not going to be a chiseled into the tablets of the new commandments of what James Gunn is going to make the DCU into. Mm -hmm. I think it's more like, hey, we would like to explore that idea. And if it lines up, sure. If it doesn't, whatever. But I mean, also... DC, I would say even more so than Marvel, is really big and open about its jumping between universes and this is this group, this is that. Group. That's always been more the DC thing than Marvel. Like, yeah. there's been more about multiverse storytelling, the different nerds, all of that. And even, like, everything that DC has put out has talked about the different universes much more than Marvel has in recent until recently so i think it's going to be pretty easy for him to say yes and then like yeah we'll just make like some characters that showed up in a video game we'll use those characters later on in a different project it doesn't necessarily need to like line up in plots or big this is all of this coming out in a span of like one week so maybe he's going to sidestep a lot of that because if he doesn't he's going to hit a really bad wall of how it works just like you said with i i just hope that he understands that and he makes David Saslav understand that because remember the, the Warner Bros. Discovery guy that yeah. the one that like uh, canceled the bad the, the bad girl movie for like a write-off and has been like eliminating all that HBO Max content to to kind of like not pay residuals in order to pay out like to lower the immense debt that they acquired from Warner Brothers uh, when, when they merged is like Saslav is the kind of guy that he says he wants stuff but he doesn't understand what it takes hoping that for this situation it's one of those things hey i hired a really competent guy that did some good stuff and it made us a lot of money maybe i'll just let him do his thing for like six mm -hmm. months to a year and if james gunn can do something right then he'll continue to be very hands off mm -hmm. so therefore james gunn can do a lot of really cool stuff with no oversight while zaslav mm -hmm. is just not caring in the slightest until he's already made a lot of money yeah and i feel like what this also tells me is that they have to do what Marvel did. Kevin Feige controls right now TV and movies, like the output of, of, of Marvel. He doesn't control games. Games is a separate entity. They put in a, a, its own president in Bill Roseman. That's that's in charge of that. I feel that's the approach that they need to reach with uh, 
with, with DC games. Like maybe a point like ahead of DC games that can try to like create a more unified line instead of what we have been getting with DC games. Wondering and, if the fact that the DC is now run by two separate people, maybe that'll help because then it's not under one person. But you're right. There should be yeah. more of a clear defined line for each media medium mm-hmm. and yeah. how that is going to play out. Yeah, the, the, the big thing is that what they did here with like hiring both Peter Safran and James Gunn is that Peter Safran is the numbers guy. He's going to be take care of budgets and business and James Gunn is the creative guy. Okay. So he's going to worry about like the actual stories, the actual characters, the actual like uh, overall overarching plan. And then he's going to work with Saffron to make that financially work instead of being like the one guy that has to think about it creatively and then having to crunch numbers. And Which is a really sucky position to be in. Yeah, having to do all that at once. Yeah, uh, Kevin Feige managed to do it, but it's rare to find a Kevin Feige. And that's what Saslav uh, yeah. uh, ran into, into because he immediately said, no, we want to we want our own Kevin Feige. And then they were like. Yeah, it's like it's trying to find a Kevin Feige to be able to do that. It's like it's one in a million. So he did the smart, the, the smart decision of like, how about if we put it with two guys, the business guy and the creative guy working together, and two guys that have worked together with before with the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker. Probably the best and, thing that you could do as yeah, far as that situation. Exactly, and all the stupid things that Sasslop has done. I think that's one of the few that I'm like, yeah, that's smart. I just hope yeah. that now that uh, games has been thrown here into like the equation, that they understand that games have to operate in its own, in its own term. So, and with better oversight, they can't have another Gotham Knights happen. Very true. Like pissing away at nine years for a game that was tepidly received, a game that I enjoyed, but I'm just being objective. Final story poll. Well, what have been story number four? But I wanted to end in hilarity. This is uh, this is gonna be an interesting. It, this is incredible, I tell you. Like it's it's just like the irony with everything surrounding this character. It's like of course it would happen to this guy. Yeah. Uh, Sonic Designer and Balan Wonderland creator Yuji Naka arrested for alleged insider trading. <laughs> Legendary Sonic Designer and Balan Wonderworld director Yuji Naka has been arrested in Tokyo in connection to an insider trading investigation involving the reveal of a Dragon Quest game. This is a story by Marcus Stewart from Game Informer. According to the Japanese news outlet FNN, the last 24 hours saw, of when the story happened saw a Square Enix Employee Taisuki Sasaki and his friend Fumiaki Suzuki arrested on suspicion for insider trading. In 2020, developer Aiming had been set to announce his mobile game Dragon Quest Tact, and Sasaki and Suzuki are alleged to have known details about the game before it was publicly revealed. The pair reportedly purchased a combined 162,000 shares of Aiming for roughly 47.2 million yen, or over $335,000 in advance, with the intent of profiting on a potentially higher stock price stemming from tax announcement. Yuji Naka is now suspected of being involved in this scandal as well. He is accused of purchasing 10,000 shares worth 2.8 million yen, roughly $20,000, in aiming for the same purpose of profiting from tax reveal. Naka was apprehended by Tokyo District Public Prosecutor's Office and the investigation is ongoing. It's currently unknown if the suspects still own their shares or if they if they already sold them. This is the second major controversy Naka has found itself involved with this year. In April, Naka publicly blasted Square Enix on Twitter over his removal as director from Balan Wonderworld prior to his release, blaming Square for the game's critical failure. This outburst came after the conclusion of a lawsuit he previously filed against the publisher. Naka is best known as the lead programmer behind the original Sonic the Hedgehog games for Sega Genesis and Nice Into Dreams. People are saying that the whole insider trading thing was also because he in it's because think about it this way he's blaming square enix for the failure of balan 
but he invested money in buying shares on a Square Enix game. Oh, that and now they're like that's Square. Why he's pissed. Yeah, and 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 then uh, now you think Square Enix maybe like put that in the note after the whole lawsuit to try to like attack Juji Naka through this angle to kind of like size up the lawsuit. Why are we gonna pay the lawsuit of this guy? He did crimes. <laughs> I, I guess if it works, it works, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, hey, he's a literal criminal. We don't have to pay him anything. Yeah. Oh man, this is just, this is one of those situations where it's a train wreck, but involving all people that you don't really like. So you're just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And oh, I, I don't even know what to say about this outside of the fact that this is just what happens when you do dumb stuff like this. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, I've said it to you and the concept of insider trading uh -huh. is just really funny to me oh, yeah. because the whole idea is that you know too much slash you are too good at your job to know things. Mm -hmm. And by profiting off of it, that's suddenly illegal as opposed to everywhere else where that's just a good business decision. Because you can do that and you can profit off any insider knowledge that you can, but the second you use it for the stock market, it's illegal. That's, I think, the funniest part to me. Mm -hmm. And just the fact that this guy clearly got busted for it by just doing all of this nonsense oh my gosh i just can't even so yeah that, that's it, really it, all i have to say about it couldn't it. have happened to anyone else other than no. the creator of sonic the hedgehog and now more controversy involving our favorite blue hedgehog yes. will forever be put into the internet <laughs> absolutely yeah it, it just it just makes it funnier but people some people were like why didn't he get arrested for the creation of sonic in the first place oh man <laughs> some people were some, some people were being that kind of assholes also yeah. but uh it is just utter hilarity, I tell you. Utter, 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 utter hilarity. And it couldn't have happened to a better guy, I tell you. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that's the, that's it for... That. And with that, that's it for this week's news poll. So now we're going to check in our Metacritic uh, kind of like uh, standings for like our top 10 most anticipated games of, uh, of, uh, of this fall. So... Some later editions, and I have forgotten to put one for me. Just give me a and second. Pokemon, I believe. Yes. So because we have to find both the open and uh, the open critic and the uh, metacritic. So the, over the last time, since uh, since since we were in, I think Pokemon was at, if I remember. Pokemon Scarlet is at 73, I believe. Oh, it, it went down because it was yeah. a, it, it was user a... score is 2.9. Yep, people are absolutely in uh, love with that yeah. one. Violet is the same, 73. Okay, and an open critic, it's uh, gonna be. I can find that one. So, Pokemon Scarlet. Open critic. It was uh, seventy-two. And Evil West is seventy-five, seventy-four. So the additions for 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 this week for you was uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet came in at a seventy-three and seventy-two. I'll tell you, I'm actually surprised that it actually came in that low. I wasn't because I was like, yeah, Pokemon has its fans, like based yeah. on on previous on previous. Uh, 
based on previous history. Uh, and for both of us, we had Evil West that is 75 and 74, and Midnight Suns. The review embargo lifted today, with oh. an eight, with an 83 Metacritic and an okay. 83 Open Critic. Good for them, I guess. Yes. Wow. That is uh, reading it. I heard that like, the IGN review was like uh, in the 75 hours that I spent on this. I'm like, pass. 75? Yeah, I'm like, no, nah, no thanks. 75? Yeah. On Midnight Suns? Yeah. And, uh, and, no. and I'm like, this is uh, knowing the. Uh, I'm glad that it's doing well because we put it here. Yeah. The more I saw of this game being like the card based RPG sort of thing, I'm like, this is one that I definitely want to get on sale. Yeah, it's uh, it's not gonna be the the big day one purchase excitement that I thought it would have been when it mm -hmm. was revealed. Um, but it's reviewing well, so technically like yes, said, it's just we're uh, glad that it exists because uh -huh. I mean it's a different kind of game in this day and age using the Marvel IP no, nonetheless too. Mm -hmm. um, so good for them. And then next week we're gonna have uh, I think two, three, uh, three more additions for, to this yeah uh, we're gonna have the addition of uh no next week we're only yep. gonna have the Crisis addition core, of no callisto uh, only callisto I mean, only callisto callisto um uh, and, and need for speed yeah that's what i meant yeah speed so two um inclusions on yeah this. but th that that inclusion will be mine because you didn't put need for speed in yours well yeah but just in general yeah so um, i'll have that i had pentiment the game that reviewed super high over on xbox that i tried for, i forgot to mention i tried because uh I Not tried it for yet. a little. Yeah, I, I tried it for a little bit on TV, and I'm like, "Oh no, it's a it's a graphic novel." Even though it got tens from some places, and people have been like screaming that this is an incredible narrative. I'm like, "This is something I need to play in a handheld." And then I tried it, and then I tried it on XCloud. I'm like, "Oh, I think I could enjoy it here with something that's here, where I constantly have to read." So it was a lot better. Yes, I just haven't really played it much, but I know I want to play it like that. See, I so. would have thought that it would make it harder to read when it's on your phone like that. But the thing is that you have less distraction because you're here. That is true. So, so. it's just kind of like right up in your face. Mm -hmm. And it really helps because it's uh, mobile, which is awesome. And it's something that I completely forgot mm -hmm. is super popular and available to do in the slightest. Yeah. Um, as far as releases, you want me to read yeah. through these? Re so read through all of them, Paul. These are going to be releases. I did not change it, but it is uh, December 4th through December mm -hmm. 10th technically yes. mm -hmm. but there's not many um, oh yeah we're, we're finally it's, it's slowing down now it's it's really slowing down but it'll pick back up in the next week so the first was hello neighbor 2 uh, on december 6 for ps5 xbox series x and s for mm -hmm. xbox one pc and um, ps4 and uh, yeah, yeah, I said four, but meant to say PS4. Yeah. Uh, Chained Echoes. I want y'all to take a look at this one because it looks super charming. It's very like sort of 2D Chrono oh, Trigger pixel art. Um, really robust looking, and it is uh, it is like Chrono Trigger but with mechs that you can use Yo. in your battles and stuff. Yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah, you I'm looking at the, keep uh, an yeah. eye on this. Yeah. Anyway, that's December 8th for not only PC, which I thought it was going to be, but it's PS5, Xbox Series X and S, PS4, Xbox One, Switch. Yes. So it is all of what you really want. I would definitely recommend just from like the two minutes I watched the trailer of, it actually hit me somewhere in my soul. Yeah. And I might want to take a look at that. Um, after I that the, art, the art style is incredible. Yeah, and for, for pure opposite style. on the interest meter is Crossfire Legion on PC, December 8th. You know what Crossfire <laughs> yeah. is about at this point. Mm -hmm. um, the next one for the memes, I want you to look Choo -choo up Choo Choo Charles, Charles on PC only for December 9th. Imagine, if you will, if Thomas the Tank Engine was as demonic as oh, people God. 
<laughs> a terrifying spider-legged steam engine chases you as you try to escape through a train of your own. Uh, and it is also sort of a shooter while you constantly try to escape Charles the choo-choo. Um, it just, it looks hilarious. This is one of those things you're going to see YouTubers doing clickbait titles of, but it just, it brought a smile to my face. And then lastly, Dragon Quest Treasures for the Switch on December 9th. This is going to be the, uh, there was a Final Fantasy game that played like this, where you try to capture different uh -huh. monsters in the universe and use them almost like Pokemon slash NPCs. Crap, 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 crap. I forgot. Um, it's the one yeah. with the two little the twins that had blonde hair and they could summon little chibi version of thirteen two characters. No, no, no. Oh. It's something different. A crystal, um, the, the crystal. Uh... Yep, you're on to it. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I think it's Crystal Chronicles. Yeah, you Final look that up, and I'm going to tell you more. Essentially, you're a Crystal Chronicles. Hunter. Crystal Chronicles. Yeah. yeah. Um, you and I think it looked like your sister. Both of you have blue hair. Run through. It's adorable. It's chibi. You're capturing monsters and then using them alongside you to like lift over chasms or burrow in. You're trying to do all sorts of nonsenses, and it looks cute. It's for the Switch. So those are the five games that we got going on. There's there's one that looks like a bang and a few mids really bad stuff yeah i can't wait really to see fun. i can't wait to see the price of chain that goes because i would yeah. totally want to would like to like try that one because it, it looks so different it looks really unique and the fact that it's on uh console is what really caught me off guard mm -hmm. um and we need more games like that. So that's it, every uh, everybody. Uh, we, you can find me at, mm -hmm. on Twitter at Dork of Art and YouTube also at Dork of Art. I post memes, uh, drawings, and me breaking video games. Alejandro, where can they find you? They can find me at A underscore Dro Segovia on Twitter. They can find me as A Segovia on Hive. They can find me at Alejandro Segovia 93 on Instagram. And they can find my written content at both thecriticalcorner.com and some of my reviews over at seasongaming.com. You have like two of them now, don't you? Yes, well, I have two review. writings. Yeah. I have the definitive ranking of the Assassin's Creed uh, series and the, my review for Evil West. So my next review will be Final Fantasy. Already stuck the claim for that one because uh, my uh, editor-in-chief, Ains Boland, he's going to review uh, Callisto, so... Okay. I offered, but he claimed it back in April, so I. That's that's but fair, but uh, I have cl I, I have claimed many already for it's him. It's gonna be interesting because you'll be a full, real sort of newcomer for Crisis Core, mm -hmm. um, instead of somebody who played in the previous time. So, uh, I can't wait. I, I think really it's a it, it's a I think it's a good perspective to have. It because is not it, not many are gonna have that that experience yeah. and see how that stands out on its own. Which and, uh, I think it's going to be a unique one compared to a lot of other people also reviewing it. Yeah, so, so basically reviews that I have claimed for them so far has been, like, at least for me to have them, has been a Crisis Core, Forspoken, Assassin's Creed Mirage, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, and Spider-Man 2. Oh, <laughs> that's going to be a solid group. Yes. I don't think I will get many codes from these, so our arrangement will come very, very appreciated also. Yep. <laughs> so. <laughs> getting those bonuses and benefits yes indeed <laughs> yes all right <laughs> and then let's see whenever i get an early code that's gonna be like quite a feeling so and over that poll it's been a pleasure good we got this done early next week is game awards we're gonna no. yeah we're gonna save our record let's save our recording for after the game awards what so. day is that again december 8th 
Awesome, because yes. I totally fly out on the 9th through the 12th. <laughs> really? Yes. Crap. And uh, you're, and you're back on the 12th? Uh, I am back on the 12th, yeah. Well, then we're recording the day before the Game Awards then. All right. Same as usual then. <laughs> <laughs> Ignore that. <laughs> so, all right, Paul, I'll see you online. You have some fun. Have a great rest of your day. Got to have some lunch. And uh, everyone, enjoy Basically, we're at the beginning of a new month now. The last month of 2022. Hard to believe it's over. Hope you have a wonderful rest of this month. And we only have now maybe two more ep two more episodes left before we go on break, Paul. So. <laughs> yes. And we'll have a full belt of episodes on it. Like, in. It's uh, crazy. So, all right, Paul. You have a good one. Everyone else, stay safe. Stay healthy. And remember... Front sex. To play. Good night, everybody. Hasta luego.